one of the one of the regulations from the Board of Professional Land Surveying or the Surveying and Engineering is that our job as boundary surveyors is to follow the footsteps of the previous surveyor or the original surveyor. And it's hard to follow the footsteps of the surveyor if you're not walking that boundary. Mm-hmm. And and it's very it's very literal in that because there's a lot of things that, that we need to pick up. These guys are, are looking for ownership evidence, uh, uh, boundary identification evidence. They're, they're really doing a lot of investigating when they're out doing these types of work. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello and welcome to episode number 29 of the Placemaking Podcast. Can you believe it? We're almost to 30. I am pumped to share this next conversation with all of you. Daniel is the North Texas Survey Division Manager at Jones Carter, located here in Plano, Texas. Daniel brings with him over 20 years of experience in the land surveying industry. And after doing his time as a survey tech and office manager for 10 years in East Texas, he struck out to make a name for himself by forming Daniel Arthur Surveying, LLC. After almost 12 years running his own firm, he found himself wanting to join an established firm here in North Texas. So after visiting several firms, he chose to come and be the North Texas Survey Division Manager at Jones Carter. Originally founded in 1976, Jones Carter has grown to more than 500 employees in 10 offices across the state of Texas. Their team is organized around 12 services that support nearly 20 public and private market sectors. Remaining true to their mission has helped them to become consistently voted as the best place to work by local and regional publications and the engineering news record top 500 national firm. So in this episode, we're going to unpack the various types of surveys commonly used in land transactions, the current limitations and advantages of LiDAR scanning technologies, and the common myths about land surveying that he often sees and how he would bust those myths. As you will hear on this show, he brings tons of experience on the subject of land surveying and the implementation of new technologies being utilized in surveying today. I think you'll enjoy his take on the various types of land surveys utilized today and how these new technologies in surveying might affect the future of real estate development. So as always, if you have enjoyed this show, I would ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends. There will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on here. You've got a whole bunch of experience in the survey field, and I thought you'd be the perfect guest to bring on here and kind of dispense a little bit of your knowledge. <laughs> there's, 
there's a little bit of knowledge to dispense. Let's <laughs> don't think there's a vast amount, but I have been doing it for a long time. Exactly. Which is why I know you've seen a lot. So uh figure this would be perfect. So if you're if you're good with it, we'll just jump right in and kind of get into how you got started in survey and then we'll transition that uh, to where you're at now here at John's Carter. Yeah, that sounds good. I got, I got started in surveying about as randomly as a person could have gotten started in any career. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it was one of those, Hey, this guy's hiring and it pays more money than you're doing right now. So uh, I went to surveying at uh, the age of, I think I was 18. Um, yeah. And it, uh, I was good at it. it. It was a good fit. And I traveled all over the place. Um, got to see all of Texas, a lot of many other states, and, um, and made really good money doing it. Um, and really liked everything about the work being outside uh, learning how to do calculations and and read and decipher deeds and descriptions and and everything that is survey I just it it, it clicked um, it came pretty easy to me and um, and so I as I was Thinking I was going to go on to be a civil engineer, I realized surveying is way better than engineering. <laughs> I won't take offense to that. <laughs> so, and no offense intended. So right. here I am, and um, and um, I really um, have enjoyed um, the journey that was uh, has been my survey career. Gotcha. So what? Did that guy that you first talked to give you a heads up on what you'd get into, or they just say uh, he he lied? Make a little more money. <laughs> he, he lied and um, and told me all these great and wonderful things, and um, didn't know anything about the snakes and the briars and the brambles and and the heat and the things that I was going to be uh, subjected to and the expectations of a, the life of a survey field crew member. And, um, and I called him out on it a few years later. Um, <laughs> um, but it, all joking aside, no, he was like, Oh, it's an easy job. You'll love it. It's man. You just, it's all you do is walk. And, <laughs> and he was right about that. Um, but there, there is obviously much more to it. And, um, and, um, I joked with him later. He's since passed away, but um, but I joked with him. You know, if you told me about all the brush I was going to have to cut as a, at 18 years old, I probably would have gone a different direction. <laughs> well, but aren't you glad you went this direction? Huh? I really am. I really, yeah. really am. Uh, you've been a couple places, right? So, can you can I tell us about your journey uh, from that first start as far as uh, you know, where you've yeah. been and yeah, absolutely. Um, when I first started out, you know, I started out as a, just a crew member, uh, didn't, didn't know the first thing about what I was doing. Matter of, I love to tell the story of my first day of surveying. 
Tell it. Um, I love it. <laughs> I, I, I show up at four o'clock in the morning at this uh, survey office, and they set me up with these two guys, and, and they say, okay, we're going to set a monument at a gas plant out in East Texas. And I'm like, okay. I'm a little <laughs> concerned here. I don't know what a monument is. <laughs> right. So I have an idea of what a monument is. I've seen them all up and down the road. Um, you know, memorial for this, a memorial yeah. for that. Um, some statues here. Statues, you know. And we walk out to this truck, and there's like 20 bags of sack creek in the back of this truck. And I'm like, I thought we were surveying. This is concrete. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to put up a monument over here at this gas plant. And so for the two-hour drive, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I hope they don't expect much out of me because I do not know how to build a statue. And um, we get to the site, and as we pull in, there's a, a monument sign base that had been built, constructed right in front of the office with some scaffolding around it and and some and it looks like somebody's fixing to set some kind of a sign on top of this thing that's not there yet. And I'm thinking, we're fixing to build this monument in front of this gas plant. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Lo and behold, a couple of hours later, I realized it was a different kind of monument. I was setting control for the gas plant, digging holes in the ground, pouring concrete and setting caps. And, and we later came back and stamped coordinates and did solar observations, did all kinds of great stuff, uh, completely as built this huge uh, gas plant there in East Texas. Um, my, my first two months of of surveying was spent in that gas plant. Mm. I learned a lot about refining uh, gases that um, I don't know that I would have ever learned otherwise. Um, sure. But we tied every bolt and every valve and every pipe and every riser and vessel and separator. We did the whole thing. Um, complete as built, did all the plant control. Um, and, and ironically enough, you know, 15 years later, um, I'm self-employed and I wind up back in that same plant using the same control surveying for some plant expansion. So it was, it was, uh, it was really neat because it was really cool. Um, but now I spent, um, about five or six years with that company, um, traveled, all over the state of Texas, um, into Louisiana and Mississippi, Oklahoma. I traveled all over the place. So I think we were in Ohio a little bit and um, did everything from seismograph survey work to tidal work and surveys, um, construction, uh, utilities, uh, water treatment plants, gas plants, pipelines, well locations. 
I've served with that company. I did just about every kind of survey that can be done. Um, I left there in 99 after I'd kind of, I'd, I would leave that company, work somewhere else for a while while I was going to school and I'd come back and I'd work for somebody else for a little while and I'd come back. And so in 99, I, I went to work for um, a small mom and pop company in um, East Texas where um, I was the only person in the office and um, we were, when I got there, we were running two crews. Um, and nine years later, when I left, we were up to five crews. The owner was in the field as a crew. And I was still the only person in the office. Wow. Um, and so I was kind of thrown into it with him and that I did every proposal. I did every invoice. I did every, everything. And, um, and he just reviewed my work and signed it. Uh, taught me taught me a good deal about where I'm at and he spent time with me mm. getting me to the point where he could trust me and opened my own business I did that for about 12 years um, doing mostly uh, construction uh, commercial um, development and um, acquisition surveys and residential uh, development and residential um, surveys for uh, title companies and lenders mm -hmm. and then a little over a year ago i got to realizing that i'm out here in east texas where uh, there's uh, way too many surveying companies <laughs> uh, not enough work and everybody's cutting their prices to the point where you're not you're not making any profit on your on your work. The margin is real slim, mm -hmm. and um, and the only way to really make any money on it was to cut the quality of your work, and I couldn't do that. Um, so I decided to see what else was out there, and I interviewed with three companies um, here in the Frisco, Plano, or, uh, McKinney area, and. Um, and two of them were really big companies. Um, Jones and Carter being one of them. And I really liked all the folks at Jones Carter, um, liked the direction that they were headed and um, the, the position that was available uh, as the division manager for North Texas and the work that we take in and, and the target market that we're going after with uh, commercial, uh, industrial, and uh, development type work with contractors, things of that nature. And um, I, really, I really liked everything about Jones Carter. And so it was a pretty easy decision for me. When I to choose between the three of them, um, and and to be honest, I was offered more money at one of the others, um, but the position and the people at Jones Carter just uh, sealed the deal for me. Uh, I wanted to be somewhere where integrity meant something, 
And that was the vibe I got from everybody I talked to. Mm-hmm. So here I am. And um, we're, uh, we're doing well. We're, we're fairly busy. We're running um, three to four crews in North Texas now where when I got here, we were running one. Mm-hmm. And um, we are uh, we're picking up new clients, and we're picking up quality clients. The the work that we're landing are with really good people that you that I really like to work with. Um, it's as I've, I've worked with the developers and the and the clients that every day it's just a beating to go to work because they're so demanding. And, and and don't really appreciate the surveying services and what and the the need for them. Mm-hmm. It's just a necessary evil, and so they beat you up on everything. And, and the people we work with really understand it, and, um, and I appreciate that. Definitely, definitely. Now, don't call yourself evil, all right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're I'm only, pars- I'm only partially <laughs> evil when I need to be. <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's kind of go over kind of a high level of the types of surveys. There are, uh, are several types of surveys. There's the mortgage or title surveys, uh, which are usually ordered through a, a title company or a bank or lender uh, mortgage company type deal. Um, and those are mainly to to the purpose in those so that the title company can issue a policy for that particular property, whether it's a vacant lot or a residential or commercial lot, they know what what they're insuring, the easements that impact it, um, the zoning type sometimes is addressed on those, uh, the uh, covenants, conditions, restrictions, if there are any, and any zoning regulations for building height, setback, things like that are a lot of times addressed in those. And and it's 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 mostly for a real estate transaction uh, or a refinance of a of a loan. Mm-hmm. Then you can there's a what is a ALTA, which is an American Land Title Association, or it used to be ACSM. It's it's changed over now. It's uh, NSPS, which is National Society of Professional Surveyors mm-hmm. certification, and it's essentially the same as a title survey, except for there's a lot more stringent certification. They're certifying two particular buyers, sellers lenders, uh, attorneys, and and the people involved in the transaction. And there are a lot of things shown on that. There's a, a table A, a checklist that was updated in 2016 uh, where you, you can kind of go through and you can pick as much detail or you can say, well, I don't need some of the um, this item, you know, 18 or whatever. And so you can pick what you need and kind of customize it to fit what you're wanting. 
and it's funny, a lot of times I get them, we need a hall of table A address. Okay, well, that's going to cost you $35,000. Well, it's just a two-acre property. <laughs> Take some of these items out of table A, and that cost will go down. Yeah. And, so, uh, I guess and, on the table A, who uh, you said who, it's kind of you pick and choose, but is it typically a loan officer or a title company that it's it's generally the uh, title attorney, the real estate attorney, title attorney, and the lender that are going to require what items are going to out of the table A that are going to be used. And there's always item one, which is are the monuments uh, called out what is what is at the property court. Uh, whether it's a rebar, a concrete monument, uh, an X, a nail. Not a statue, open. right? Not a statue. <laughs> We're tearing those down anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, but the uh, it's 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 some type of a marker, mound of rocks, um, uh, trees, things of that nature um, that mark the corner of that um, that property. And um, so that's always included on table A. A lot of times um, the addresses are included most times because most of the times you're getting an Alta survey in a semi-developed area. Very rarely are they in undeveloped, uh, undeveloped properties. Uh, in your zoning classification because you're in a developed area um, is a lot another thing that that is often required um and then the land area whether it's square feet or acreage however they're wanting it called out one of the the big cost impacts is a vertical relief a topographic survey um, and a lot of times the attorneys and the and the lenders think they need that for the title transaction when in fact they don't really need it for that, but you and I may need it for you to do your design, but you can do that outside of the Alta and save a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, there's, there's things like um, restrictions that are, that are in uh, the zoning report and, and any zoning changes, setbacks, uh, any proposed zoning changes, uh, building height requirements, things like that. Uh, material, sometimes uh, zoning requires certain building materials to be used on the facade, and, and sometimes that's addressed on, on the surveys. Um, and that's mo- mainly so that you know when you buy this piece of property what your restrictions are before you close on that transaction. Um, if there are improvements, a lot of times you'll show the exterior dimensions um, and the square footage of the buildings, the measured heights of the buildings, uh, things like that. Um, kind of the, the position distance from nearest property lines, either front, rear, side, uh, side streets, things of those nature. Um, and Alta, you know, anything that significantly impacts a, a, a large depression, um, a, a large slab of concrete that just kind of poured out there, 
um, a wet area, um, things that, that impact the value of the property, parking lots and things like that. Mm-hmm. are a lot of times shown. Um, the, a lot of times when you show them the parking, they want to know how many and what types of parking it is. If it's a uh, handicap, motorcycle, um, you know, <clears throat> whether it's slant, head in, uh, parallel parking, those kind of things they like to have shown on the surveys. The locations of the utilities, the if it's a suite type property, uh, a condo style, uh, duplex, quadplex, things of that nature, a lot of times they like to have the um, party walls or the common walls delineated on the surveys. Um, uh, any um, evidence that there's uh, uh, walls and structures of that sort are not uh, plumb. Sometimes I've, I've, I've had to do a few of those where we're, we're you know, telling how far out of plumb a two-story um, structure is. Um, only had to do that once, actually. Jeez. Yeah. But but that was the purpose of getting the Alta survey. The buyer thought it looked like it was leaning a little bit, and in fact it was, and we had to tell how far out. Um, I have no idea what happened with it after <laughs> that, but um, I can only assume a structural engineer got involved. Um, we'll show utilities and um, whether above surface, below surface, anything visible, anything that, that, that impacts the property. Um, we use Alta use a lot in um, in multifamily type real estate transactions or office building or commercial building transactions, shopping centers, things like that. Um, we'll show any government agency impact on that property, um, like a, a HUD financing and HUD requirements, a Bureau of Land Management type thing. Um, the Veterans Land Board has certain restrictions and things that they put on their properties. Mm-hmm. Well, we do this on all of our surveys regardless, but Alta specifically, they want the names of, and deed references, tax record type reference of all adjoining properties. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, um, a lot of times we, we show where it sits in relation to particular intersections, if it's not at a corner. Um, rarely, but sometimes they want some uh, ortho imagery, uh, maps and overlays for um, usually when it's development purposes. Um, any evidence that, that there's been any construction or earthwork on the site, uh, anything that looks like it might have been used as a landfill or any waste would have been dumped on the property. Um, we always check with the governing bodies, TxDOT or whatever DOT it is, and the county and the city for proposed right-of-way changes. A lot of times mm-hmm. um, people don't realize 
TxDOT will propose their right of way for a road 20 years back <laughs> and we'll close on the transaction and our, it never fails. The year we start construction on our property, TxDOT comes in and says, oh yeah, by the way, we're taking 50 feet across the front of your property here. <laughs> and, and so, um, of course. So, you know, we, we try to check, check those out. Um, it, it, most of the time we can get that information early enough or before the closing so we can, we can make a determination as to whether that's going to impact what we're wanting to do or not. Um, the, we'll identify wetlands and things of that nature. Um, and any easements that are, uh, they're called servant easements. So if, if someone owns a property and they have an easement from their neighbor to get a utility to the property, then that easement runs with the property. And a lot of times we'll have to run those down. And, and sometimes those don't show up in the chain of title because the easement was, was created maybe two or three owners ago mm -hmm. and they put in a sanitary sewer line or water line or both. And when the new owner bought the property, although that easement transferred with the property, the, it wasn't in, there wasn't a description of it in the deed. And so it, it didn't get surveyed with that new survey. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of times those are, are a little bit more difficult to track down because the, the title companies may or may not catch that depending on how long ago it had been created. Wow. So wait, so, just to, to go back real quick, briefly, can we go over what, a uh, easement means to a landowner or, you know, to anybody that, that has to deal with those type of entities. Uh, an easement can be any, any number of things, but generally what an easement is, is the right of some use of a particular portion strip or part of a property to serve some sort of utility or access or for being able to um, park equipment or, or what have you to do construction on your property or even an easement on your property that has pipelines or water lines or sewer lines, things of that nature, uh, uh, electric lines, utilities and such. Um, that, that cross your property and could also be access easements to neighboring properties mm -hmm. that, that come across your property. Uh, so easements can, can help you um, in that you get a, a certain ride across a neighbor that maybe they don't necessarily want you running that water line there, but you have the right to do it because you have that recorded easement or maybe the, the adverse to that, your neighbor has that easement across your property and you're wanting to use that property, but there's a water line running there. So mm -hmm. uh, easements are, easements can be used for, for many, many, many 
um, different uses being an, an actual physical use with um, with some type of utility or access or even just a line of side easement that people can't build on that property to block your view. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's, that's exactly what I was going for. It's just kind of brief description. Cause uh, a lot of times, you know, we throw around these words and uh, sometimes, you know, some people know it, some people don't. So uh, just trying to clear up some jargon. So I appreciate you. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, obviously an Alta survey is a, uh, there's a lot to it. And, and that's why they cost a, a lot more than other types of surveys. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of liability that is, that runs with an Alta survey. Um, and, um, so quickly there's just boundary surveys where we just identify the boundaries of the property. There's construction surveys where we survey like a, a road or a utility or a wall or, or a particular building that, um, maybe there's going to be some, some, um, addition to it or something built adjacent to it designed so so typically those have some vertical data with them um, for you guys to be able to plan what you're needing to do Um, and sometimes it is just to identify what's there for the construction of an office building or what have you Uh, Mm -hmm. there's locative surveys which are exactly what they sound like it's just to say hey this is the location everything sits on the lot driveways, um, office buildings, parking lots, sidewalks, things like that. Uh, you know, just, just anything you can see on the property. Um, there's uh, site plan surveys uh, for permitting for residential or commercial construction. Where we take a sur- the survey that we've done, add an engineer's design, um, for submitting to either the city, the county, um, for uh, or the HOA or the POA, uh, Homeowner Association or Property Owner Association, for approval for the construction of whatever's on that's going to be proposed on that site. There's subdivision surveys, which is just dividing any type of division of land from a larger tract into a smaller piece of property or or multiple pieces of property. Um, Topographic surveys showing, those are just showing the contours and and the the elevations related to the boundaries and improvements on the properties. And um, you you know well about topos, you you use those good or bad uh, quite often, I'm sure. <laughs> and oh, yeah. it's and and it people there's a lot of people that think they're good at topographic surveying that really don't understand what it takes to make a good topographic survey. There's all sorts of things that uh, could really help out when you're doing that topographic survey. So yeah, that's a that's a great point. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what the topo looks like at Cockrell Hill because that property was uh, was a very difficult property because of vegetation to, mm-hmm. to get a good topo survey on. Um, yeah, and to go along with that, a lot of crews now are, are trying to utilize um, aerial drone surveys. Is that something you see as being valuable? Aerial, LIDAR, drone imagery surveys, they have their place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I do utilize uh, LIDAR a lot. And it's usually when we're covering a larger area that we're needing to get the topo done in a, in a short amount of time. And to topo 130 acres or 630 acres, it's just going to take longer than we have mm-hmm. and having it within a tenth or, or two is close enough on for what we're doing mm-hmm. um, and obviously you're well not obviously I, I guess but in the open areas along the road your lidar is going to be very 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 accurate when you get into the vegetation um, it's it's all based on a number of, of light pulses that that is are shot down in a square meter or square inch type of an area, and the more lights we shoot in, the more uh, likely we are to penetrate to the lowest surface, which is the face of the earth. And so, in a dense vegetation area, we will fly from different directions, shooting more dense um, light pulses per square meter that'll get us a better idea of what that the surface looks like and get us a greater chance of penetrating to the surface. Um, There's there's still a need for conventional topo when you when you really need a high degree accuracy topographic survey and the only way you can get that is to walk that surface now a lot of times you can take the two technologies and marry them together and that's that's what we do a lot on these on these properties. We do what are called ground verification, where we actually topo maybe a, a two or three hundred foot grid and overlay with the LIDAR data, but we have some points that we can correct up the accuracy of the LIDAR data. Mm. Um, and depending on the 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 level of accuracy that's required for the survey. We'll, we'll get a, a more dense ground verification grid. And we may, we may even go and, and pick up particular um, features, uh, drainage ditches, swales, things of that nature um, by conventional topographic survey methods because of, of needing to attenuate for the volumes of water and things like that, that you guys have to have to account for mm-hmm. when you're doing drainage and the volume of dirt to that's going to be moved on the site. Um, so, and, and in all of our surveys, the, 
aerial doesn't pick up the culverts and things under the road, the flow lines of the utilities of storm drains, sanitary sewers, the depths of water lines, water valves, and and those features, you, you have to have someone physically in the field taking those measurements. Right. So it does have limitations, but it is a useful tool. It is. Like, it, 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 it very much is. So, yeah. and, and, and I love topographic surveys. <laughs> so not to get off topic even more, but <laughs> um, 3D scanning, is that another tool that could be used that uh, could help at least with accuracy in, in some instances? Yes, it, it, uh, 3D scanning is a, a wonderful tool, and and when used properly, again, um, to get the to get the level of accuracy, um, you have to have some control uh, factors in place to say to set some parameters and and some fixed measurements that that can tighten up the the data from the 3d scanner um so um and and we've we've done some recently we've done some some good scans here in dfw area um i'm going to be using a scanner to to do a creek um and because we have some some bank embankments that are um so steep we cannot walk up and down the creek bank Hmm. so we're going to utilize scanning to do the topographic survey of a creek that's interesting and uh, and 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 with that we have to have some verification ties to to fix that data just like with the lidar that says okay we're gonna get this point cloud and and you know you're gonna get a million points per square inch or a million points per second and and so um what are the what are the accuracies on that you have noise um, that that is that creates some error um you know wind moving grasses things like that that the softwares have come a long way, but the the scanner itself still picks that picks that stuff up, and so you have to you have to have good processing to make scanning, uh, which is whether it's terrestrial uh, scanning that is the three uh, uh, D scanning on the surface, or lidar, which is the aerial scanning. Um, or aerial lidar. There's mobile lidar, and there's multiple different types of lidar. But the they're all the same thing. They're measuring light pulses and and creating uh, the the image on with multiple points. Mm-hmm. So that's that's extremely interesting. So sorry to take you down that rabbit hole, but. <laughs> no, it's, I, I love three D scanning. I, I actually uh, was was disappointed that we didn't pursue a scanning uh, project recently. 
we'll we'll do the next one. We just we didn't have enough lead time to really um, prepare for our scope on it. So mm-hmm. we opted out of it rather than to get into something and get us in a situation that we, we weren't prepared for, mm-hmm. uh, which was the right move to make. Um, but I was disappointed because I really wanted to scan uh, this particular storm drain system. <laughs> cool. Cool. So what, what are uh, some of the common misconceptions that you see about the surveying process? Oh, um, you're happy that, you know, the clients here understand the process more so. Um, so I guess over your. The, the your greatest system. thing that the greatest misconception I see is I don't need a survey. <laughs> the, the, the sellers have one from 1983. <laughs> Nothing's changed, right? Yeah. We hadn't done anything. Um, and, uh, but that, that's probably the biggest misconception is that there's no need for a new survey. Um, the, the other is that, well, that guy said he would do it for half what, what you said it would cost. And so that they're, they're cheaper for a reason. And it's usually because they don't have the volume of work because they have, have not performed surveying well. Um, so they, they cut their price to get more volume of work. Um, and it's cheapest isn't always the best. Um, so, um, the other would be, um, the cost that, uh, that just because it's a smaller or larger property that it's going to cost less or it's going to cost more. Right. Uh, and then a, a big, a big misconception is that it's my property. I can build wherever I want to on it. <laughs> so, right. You build yeah. anything you want, right? I can build whatever I want, wherever I want. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah. I, so, yeah. yeah. So uh, to go along with those misconceptions, has there any, been anything, I'm throwing a curveball at you here, but okay. anything you've seen on site that uh, just blew your mind that, uh, you know, anything interesting while you were doing a survey that you thought never in a million years would I find this or... <laughs> Uh, I have, I, I have had those, um, the, it, it was absolutely horrible. Um, I ran into a site where we were doing a topo and we found a few, um, illegally disposed of tires, um, that, you know, we doing an Alta and we pick them up. And when they started doing the abatement on the project to remove the tires, I mean, it was, you know, a few hundred tires is what we can see. Six months later and like hundreds of truckloads later, they finally removed all the tires off of the site. Jeez. Were they just... (laughs) uh, well, we got we got deep. called on it because you know we show this mound of tires that we find, and it's you know, well, it's maybe one semi truck load of tires, maybe two, I don't know. And, and 
when they closed on the property and they started moving forward with it, um, they started pulling tires out and they found that, and, and they started doing their uh, core samples and borings and things of that nature for the geotechnical. They found that a large portion of the site had been used as a, a landfill for tire disposal. Dang. And, um, and it, it was deep. I mean, it was, uh, you know, 15, 20 foot deep and a large, large area. Um, it was a, a large cost to the, to the owner. Um, that was, that was a, that was one that I would have, I would have never expected to have, have walked across. And that was in a, in a, an incorporated city limits. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it was right there. Um, we've, uh, we've run across, um, large, um, drug fields, marijuana. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, in, in, um, areas that you're, you wouldn't suspect, I mean, a 10 or 15 acre property, uh, looks kind of overgrown. You go in and it's well manicured and, and a very well organized, uh, illegal irrigation system tied into a fire hydrant or something running into the property uh, to irrigate the marijuana field. Was that a private property or? Yes. <laughs> wow. And, and, and the landowner didn't know it was there. Huh. Yeah. There, so there was an 80 acre property out in East Texas that we did that. We found that on, but we found, we found um, the, the marijuana, properties i've found those all over the state uh, where people um, get on a vacant property that's a little bit overgrown and they'll go in clear out a little area and grow their drugs so how do you survey that what are your <laughs> what are your uh, calls for that for, fortunately i all i do is is the survey and and report it um, the, um, but and and I don't get too tied up in those things because uh, <laughs> I, I don't really want to be around all that but um, right. but no it's a it's a just a you know you, things you come across um, the we I have I haven't but I had a crew that um, that found a, a body in a truck on a site that mm. had a tree growing through the bed of the truck. It had been there so long. Um, oh, and it was actually, it was actually on a church campsite out in East Texas and it solved a cold case, uh, missing person file. I can't remember how old it was, but it was long enough that a, a good sized tree had grown up through the bed of the, of the pickup. Jeez. Yeah. They didn't tell you that when you started, did they? No, they didn't. No, I, did. <laughs> I, I have surveyed accident scenes and, and, and that, but nothing, no murder scenes. Nothing. I, I haven't had to deal with any deceased uh, persons. Well, that's good. My survey crew. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> I, I want to. So, <laughs> besides that, uh, <laughs> What does a day in the life of Daniel look like right now? 
Then maybe let's it, kind it of go into it. It is awesome. <laughs> Being me is great. I will, you know, I, I'm very blessed. Um, I have a great group of people that I work with that, um, you know, I, I got a great family that supports me. So my day is, is pretty typical. I'm, I'm generally up and working around 6, 6.30, get into the office around 7 or 8, sometimes a little later if I have an early morning meeting. I do a lot of business development, a lot of uh, guidance and coaching um, with the staff and helping to share my experience in surveying um, with people I work with so that they can further their careers and um, and just um, just try to help everybody be as as efficient as they can in my survey practice and help them to understand what our deliverable means to the people that we're delivering it to, whether it's an engineer, um, a real estate attorney, um, a, a buyer, an investor. Every, our product has an impact on, on everybody we're giving it to. Mm-hmm. And we've got to know what that impact is or we can't give a quality product. That's a good point. It's a very good point. You know who your end user is for sure. Yeah, know what we're delivering and what it's going to be used for, and and that way we can we can make sure it meets the need um, before submitting it and saying, "Well, I really need this, or I need that, or you didn't show this, or why did you show all that? I didn't need all that." <laughs> right. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, real quick, what does a day in the life of somebody on your on your survey crew look like? Because I think that's interesting too. Right now, it is very, very hot. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter where you go in the in the country; it's hot. Um, now, it, generally speaking, these guys um, it, it kind of depends on on which what survey we're doing, whether it's construction staking or or topographic and boundary work, real estate transaction work. So these guys will come in, they they try to hit the hit the ground as the sun's coming up to get started in the cooler part of the day. And um, our guys right now are spending a lot of time doing construction staking. So with that there's never any shade. Um, there's <laughs> no always a lot of dirt, um, and inevitably, if there is a breeze, it's loaded with sand because the water trucks broke down and it can't keep the sand down on the you know dust down on the site. Um, so you wish the breeze would stop, and um, <laughs> and so they're they're pounding stakes and and working you know, 12 hour days and, uh, and doing a lot of walking. Uh, when we're doing boundary work there, they use, uh, uh, brush axes, things of that nature to cut, uh, brush and search for property corners and, and 
always carrying a, a lot of survey gear and, and stakes and, and flagging and uh, water, lots of water. Uh, but, uh, but no, it, it's, it's a lot of walking. Um, the, the guy that hired me into surveying was, was spot on in that this job is all about walking. And, um, and, you know, one of the, one of the regulations from the Board of Professional Land Surveying or the Surveying and Engineering is that our job as boundary surveyors is to follow the footsteps of the previous surveyor or the original surveyor. And it's hard to follow the footsteps of a surveyor if you're not walking that boundary. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very, it's very literal in that because there's a lot of things that, that we need to pick up. These guys are, are looking for ownership evidence, uh, uh, boundary identification evidence. They're, they're really doing a lot of investigating when they're out doing these types of work, topographic work, you know, trying to really spot those features that, that have to be shown for you to be, do a good design so that the client wants to use you on the next job. Right. Right. That's, that's big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if any of you guys that are listening are interested in walking, <laughs> need to get a few steps. Daniel will set you up, right? That's right. That's right. We have a waiver. We have a waiver for you to sign and there's always something for you to carry. <laughs> awesome. Well, Daniel, I really appreciate your time and going over all these these terms and, and some of the surveys and a little in depth on uh, what you can expect when you, when you request a survey. Uh, there's tons of, tons of good info in there. So I really appreciate all your time, Daniel. Oh, I appreciate you having me, man. I've enjoyed it. Definitely. Definitely. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one.